Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. Do not forget to buy lentils, or the lentil soup you're making for dinner will be sorely lacking. By the way, Mrs. Calloway says thanks for helping her bundle home and auto. She appreciates the extra savings, even though you kept using the word apropos incorrectly. But the main thing is do not forget to buy, uh, what was it? Something apropos, the lentil soup. Sorry, I'll call you back. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine. And what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Yeah, and it's no days off. In this game, just stop. Play hard. My team's so dumb. Hello and welcome. The Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 74. I am your host, Jared Dubin. As you know by now, I am bringing you insight into the New York Knicks Monday through Friday. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and a rating, and tell your friends to do the same. Today, we will be talking about Knicks Cavs Part 2 with Chris Manning from Locked On Cavaliers, who we did a uh, game preview and wrap up podcast with before and after the season opener. We're going to do the same thing today and tomorrow. Uh, we happened to record this podcast on Tuesday afternoon before last night's game against the Heat, which means it was recorded uh, also before Derrick Rose got hurt. Uh, as of now, all we really know is that he experienced back spasms during the game. Doesn't team seem too serious right now, but obviously it's something to monitor. Um, it's really a shame because he had been playing the best he's played in a really long time, uh, especially on offense, and things were coming together for him and for the team. Uh, if he sits tonight, which I think, based on his injury history, we can probably expect. Um, that obviously changes some of the matchups and some of the things I talked about with Chris on the podcast. Uh, a Brandon Jennings-led offense is significantly different than a Derrick Rose-led one. And uh, you may have to see the Knicks get weird and experiment with like a no-point guard lineup at some point because I don't know if they trust someone like Ron Baker in a game like this, and he's really the only other point guard option. You, know, you may see someone like Sasha Vujicic earlier than expected, if only because he has uh, some vague experience running an offense. Um, we, we did talk about Rose quite a bit uh, with, with me and Chris, so you can either listen to that and just keep in mind that he's either going to be out or playing somewhat injured tonight, or you can skip forward at that point. Um, but definitely wanted to let you know that that was recorded uh, before Rose went down last night. Um Elsewhere in last night's game, it was really good to see the Knicks uh, dial up the defensive aggression against a certain option of the other team's offense. Um, they were not at all afraid to send help toward Hassan Whiteside on pick and rolls and let the other guys try to beat them from the perimeter. I think Whiteside got maybe a couple interior catches out of lobs. He was doing more of his damage from the post and on offensive boards, which is harder to do. So that was, uh, that was good to see. Um, I thought Lance Thomas and Joakim Noah played arguably their best games of the season. You know, Noah, even though he was only out there for like 15, 16 minutes or so, he was really good, especially on the boards. Uh, Lance especially, it was very nice to see him hitting shots again. Um, that would be a really big development if he can get back to the player he was for most of last season because you know, as much as people enjoy the Mindy project, Lance is a much better defender in that role 
and the Knicks really need that, especially when they go to their small lineups, which Lance is uh, really a big key for, as you saw throughout last season. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I thought Justin Holiday gave some nice minutes again. I thought Brandon Jennings passed the ball really well. And then Kyle O'Quinn, um, I don't know who has gotten into this guy over the last week or so, but it's pretty awesome. Uh, he looks terrific on both ends of the floor. The jumper is going down. He's hammering the boards. He looks lighter on his feet defensively. This is the player that the Knicks and the people that like O'Quinn thought they were signing when they signed him last year. Um, hopefully he can keep that up. Um, that's it for last night. We'll get you to my conversation with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers. But first, let's take a quick word from our sponsor, BetDSI. Do you love basketball? Are you ready to get in on the action? Check out BetDSI.com. They have over 20 years in the business, and they are top-rated in customer safety. BetDSI.com has a great basketball special running. Sign up today and get $10 free to try their service. BetDSI.com is also offering 100% bonus on your first deposit, so you get more for your money if you sign up now. BetDSI.com has great customer service and fast and easy payment of winnings. There are hundreds of football, basketball, wagers to choose from. You can also get UFC, anything else. Not only that, but BetDSI even has live in-game wagering on all football, basketball, and other major sporting events. So if you're watching your favorite team, say the Knicks, and they're down, but you still have faith that they'll win, you can wager on that and get in on the action too. You can virtually play anything at BetDSI.com. Go to BetDSI.com. That's B-E-T-D-S-I.com. Go there now and use the promo code NYX10 to get your free wager and start winning today. That's BetDSI.com, and the promo code is NYX10 to get your $10 free and start winning today. Now let's get you to my conversation with Chris Manning of Lockdown Cavaliers, talking about tonight's Knicks-Cavs matchup. Hey, Jared. How's it going? Not too bad, man. How about you? Not too bad. Uh, in the midst of another busy week of NBA basketball, but you know that's definitely a good thing. So this is another Locked On Cavs, Locked On Knicks podcast. We're going to look at uh, Cavs Knicks, I believe, round two, and look at how these teams have changed a little bit since they played on opening night when the Cavs uh, drubbed them, to to put it kind of nicely. But uh, it's in New York. A lot of sort of interesting things happening with the Cavs, but. Uh, nothing really that besides J.R. Smith's injury that actually impacts the game directly. A lot of it's the Phil Jackson stuff, yeah. the uh, the Trump Hotel with LeBron and other teammates who we don't know, but I could guess who uh, aren't going to stay at, at the Trump Hotel per the Cavs contract with that hotel. But uh, with the Knicks, is it? I mean, what's what's the state of the Knicks right now? Well, they as of we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so before the game against Miami tonight. They are 11-9 and nine and in fifth place in the Eastern Conference, so that's something that's not necessarily uh, expected based on that first game of the season. Um, I think the big difference here is, you know, the first game obviously was on the road. This game is at home. The Knicks are 9-3 and three at the Garden. So, I mean, and, and in only one game have they come up and, like, really not shown up, which was against Houston very early on in the season. In every other one of their home games, even the other two losses, they have played well and have made it difficult for the other team coming in. So 
I think it'll tell us a lot if they are able to give the Cavs an actual game and possibly even beat them. Uh, if they come out and get blown off the floor, that tells us a lot too, which is basically like there's another level of teams in the Eastern Conference or in the league that they just can't reach uh, even when when they play at home. Yeah, I think that's sort of the read. I haven't watched a ton of Knicks this year uh, just because there's been other teams that have kind of caught my attention. Like I'm, I like I like the Lakers a lot more than I expected to. For example, it's like I feel like I watch them more than maybe I that I need to. Um, so I haven't really caught the Knicks much. But you look at where they're at in the East, like you said, it just doesn't like they're they're where they are because they're playing you know decently. But it's not exactly like they're blowing away really good teams in order to get to the fifth spot in the East as we record this. Like being just a little bit ahead of the Pacers, a little bit ahead of a struggling Hawks team. Um, even like not that far removed from the Orlando Magic, who are just putrid in so many ways uh, on one side of the ball. Like it's just they're there. Um, but is I mean, is that are Knicks fans like receptive to this? Like are they are they good with where the Knicks are at, or are they like upset with it, or like are they skeptical? Like what's the mood? Well, it's funny that you put that out there because I did do um, a series of Twitter polls from the the podcast account yesterday. And one of them was asking about, you know, the Knicks are 11-9 and nine so far. Is that better than you expected, worse than you expected, or as good as you expected? And 53% of people said better, 43% said as good, and 4% says worse. So I think that people are very satisfied so far. I think that they're playing really well. And, you know, based on that 9-3 that and three home record, they definitely are playing well at home. They're 2-6 and six on the road and have not played well in several of those games, you know, they, they did they were competitive uh, in a loss in Detroit. They were competitive in a loss in Toronto, um, and and they've won two road games. Also, a couple of the other road ones, they've been sort of blown off the floor. Obviously, Cleveland, they were blown out um, in Washington. Also, but you look at the even the home games. So you mentioned, you know, they're they're in fifth, but they're not that far ahead of some teams that. You know, aren't that great, and you know that's reflected in their point differential. You know, they're minus two point one points per game, which is not something you would expect from a number five seed. Even in the that nine and three record at home, they're only plus two point two points per one hundred possessions in home games, which suggests a team that should be like seven and five or so at home. You know, you flip that, and all of a sudden they're nine and eleven instead of eleven and nine. You know, it's, it's good that they've been able to outperform their point differential, but it also gives you a little bit of a better clue um, as to maybe they're playing more like a 7, 8, 9, 10 seed than they are like a 5 seed, and that just happens to be where they are because it's early on. Um, you know, that it's, you know, 550 winning percentage on pace for 45 wins, but you look at, like, the Western Conference, and, you know, there are seven teams better than that. You take a 550 winning percentage, and you're just ahead of Portland for the 8 spot. You know, the... The East just happens to have, um, I think it's nine teams between nine and twelve, or twelve and nine. And on any given night, depending on the results, you could jumble those teams up in any particular order. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think also when you look at the East, a lot of the teams that in the Knicks are around are teams that I've, that at least in two cases I think maybe are underperforming from where I expected. I didn't think the Hawks would necessarily be as good as they've been, but eight, ten and twelve is not. Where exactly where I thought they'd be right now. Uh, the Pistons, of course, didn't have Reggie Jackson, so there's a big old caveat when we talk about them because he, I mean, Ish Smith is just not providing <laughs> what Reggie Jackson does, even if I'm not the biggest uh, Reggie Jackson like supporter. They're like he he does good things for them, 
and we saw that in his first game back. But like they're eleven and eleven, and like you know, I mean, the Bulls being eleven and eleven with Detroit, like their entire offense is based on Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and rolls. For them to go, I think they were ten and ten, or maybe eleven and ten, without Reggie. um, Again, is like their entire offense. It's it's really impressive, and that makes me feel really good about where they're going throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, uh, I think with the East, it's just sort of interesting because like I look at how it's sort of shaping out, and I have no like it's so early in the season to really talk about you know playoffs or anything like that. But I, I feel like the Knicks from like watching them a little bit and just kind of looking where uh, things stand. I, I think it'd be honestly one of the more like fascinating like one eight matchups if the Cavs are going to get that way, just because at least you'd have some, there'd be some storylines that are somewhat interesting, but uh, I'd, I'd like to see Chris, like Chris Haps getting playoff experience against that type of team, even if it's four games like that has value. And I'd like to see how he would do in that series uh, because he does provide matchup issues for the Cavs. And especially what we've seen of late with the Cavs, if struggled against certain bigs, uh, you know, I mean, Rose and Kyrie would be like a, the what if kind of thing. Like Carmelo and LeBron would certainly be fun, and I, I think there's like things the Knicks do that even we saw on opening night in a drubbing that like present problems for the Cavs in like minor areas. But like that, that to me is more interesting than seeing the Cavs play like the Pacers or to see the Cavs like play like if the Hornets were to slip that low. Like I just there's nothing that interesting there to me. Yeah, I think it's more interesting on a storyline and conceptual level than it is on an on-court level like a lot of those Knicks heat matchups that happened um I said you know in a podcast before the start of the season like you know one of the questions I got asked in a mailbag was like which teams do you think the Knicks match up well well with and which teams do you think they don't match up well with and rather than identifying specific teams off up top I identified certain archetypes of teams that would be a really bad matchup for them. And when you ticked off each of the areas, the Cavs fit basically every single one of them. You know, they have an attacking point guard that can get into the paint in Kyrie, and you saw that in the first game. I think he had 29 or 31 points, one of the two, and he basically got wherever he wanted on the floor. If you have an athletic center that can make Noah really move his feet and hit them on the offensive boards, that's a problem. And we saw that with Tristan Thompson in the first game. Uh, even if he didn't even play all that much, it was, a, it was a problem for them when he did. If they have a perimeter foreman that can force Porzingis to guard on the perimeter, that's an issue for the Knicks. And the Cavs have Kevin Love. If you have you know multiple defenders that you can throw at Carmelo, and especially one who, you know, and I've made this point throughout the season, he tends to struggle with guys that are like exactly the same size as him that he can't either blow by off the dribble or overpower with his size. And the Cavs have LeBron. So, yeah. you know, yeah. plus the Knicks don't have anybody that can guard LeBron. Like, their best hope is using Lance Thomas on him. So I think it would definitely be interesting in terms of, like, giving people things to talk about. You know, the, the LeBron-Carmelo matchup and rivalry, uh, Rose and Irving, that kind of thing. J.R. Smith and Schumpert against the Knicks and all the Phil Jackson nonsense. Um, Porzingis' first playoff series. Um, I do think that it would be a really, really bad matchup for the Knicks and probably a quick series. Um, You know, the Cavs might give them a game just because they tend to do that kind of thing sometimes. But the the Knicks really have to avoid being that eight seed if they do get into the playoffs so they can have a shot at winning a round. Yeah, but I will say this to look at tomorrow even more specifically. I think the Knicks are sort of the perfect team for the Cavs to get an idea what life would be like without J.R. Smith in their rotation. 
Um, and I say that because obviously if you're listening to the show, you may know already that J.R. Smith's injury that he suffered against the Raptors isn't serious. It uh, doesn't look like there's any major structural damage or anything that's going to keep him out for a long period of time. But he's, I, I would not expect him to play. We don't know for sure yet. Uh, but, I mean, he was in Cleveland. There's not really a need to play him. And I think, Jerry, I mean, you would agree with that, right? Like, there's no need to play JR no, not at all. in a game like this. Yeah, There's no it, need to play him until he's 1,000% healthy. Like, there, there's nothing that's going to happen to the Cavs in the next three or four weeks, even if it takes that long for him to recover, that's going to knock them off their perch as, like, the most likely team to make the finals. Like, even if they don't get the number one seed, there's no reason to think they're not going to be the team that goes there. Yeah, and, ke- and keeping JR away from New York is probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, maybe like, he's still gone, like, who knows. Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, he might, who knows, but... Uh, I think you look at tomorrow. We, I would guess that actually Shumpert's not going to step in and start for him at shooting guard. I think you probably see. I think there's a chance you see DeAndre Liggins. I think there's a chance you see Richard Jefferson. I think one of those two guys makes the most sense. Uh, Liggins was the guy that Lou went to to start the second half against the Raptors, and I think it was because he a, didn't want to disrupt Shumpert's flow, but he wanted to keep Jefferson in his role as well. And Liggins is a guy I think they like to an extent. Um, and I don't think Mc- Jordan McRae's exactly impressed anyone this year besides the one fourth quarter he closed out. But hmm. <laughs> and, and that was just like byproducts of Kyrie and Love not playing well and LeBron really carrying a unit. But, uh, you know, there it is, man. But, no I mean, shot I, that it's uh, Mike Dunleavy. He did come back and play a couple he's, minutes. He's just been so bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I don't necessarily, like, know what it is i don't know if it's his back um he's kind of downplayed his back injury a little bit i don't know if it's he's adjusting to teammates in the situation i don't know if he's just he got old um or if like you know not playing that many games last year is the issue but i i, I kind of think maybe he's the guy i would start but i don't know if the Cavs think of it. because i think if you play him with lebron and Kyrie and love you're gonna a force him to play with those guys for 20 minutes for maybe the first time all year um but you're going to allow him to be the fourth shooter instead of, like, the second or third like they've had him be. And he can maybe, if he gets a couple clean threes, if whoever's guarding him sags off, like, maybe that helps him. But That's what I, I was kind of get the thing it's somebody else. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you could think about it either way, really. Yeah, and but I think with the Cavs' death, I think the, the reason I'm kind of hoping just functionally JR doesn't blaze because I think this is a test of the Cavs' depth. Um I'm not someone that like thinks the Cavs actually necessarily need to do something, but if you look at without Jr., they lose their most maybe their most important floor spacer outside of Love and Kyrie, um, and he certainly has been good at defense since he's been with the Cavs. Even though he's not shooting well this year, has played really well this year. He's he's important. Um, if Dunleavy's not playing well, and I'm not really I don't really think Liggins or McRae are actually any good. Like they're just they're fine. They're whatever. Without Jr you kind of get an idea of what the Cavs would look like if they had an injury to someone on the wing. And, you know, Shumpert has an injury history. Um, Jefferson is an older guy and could fall off. You just don't always know what's going to happen. So I wonder kind of how they approach this. And it's a one-game sample. It's not going to mean much. But I kind of just want to see how Ty Lue adjusts to it. And to me, that that would be the most interesting thing uh, kind of at this game. I mean, there's so many other things that are going to be fun. But this, to me, is maybe the most important thing we could grab from this if you're looking at this from the Cleveland side of things. Yeah, and I think it'll be inter- an interesting way to see how the Knicks respond defensively, too, because the biggest issue they had in that first game was that they kept leaving the Cavs open from beyond the arc. Uh, JR especially, um, he did not 
connect very often. I think he was something like he, t- he took like eight or nine threes and made maybe one or two. Um, and then early on, I remember there was one particular play, one of the threes that Jr. actually made. Uh, LeBron gave him a pass and like scolded Justin Holiday for straying too far off Jr. So without that shooter out there, it'll be interesting to see you know who the Knicks stray away from, who they stay close to, because um, I, I think they'd be much more okay with leaving Liggins or Shumpert or Jefferson open from the perimeter than they would have or should have been leaving JR. So you may be able to devote an extra defender or half a defender, you know, his attention towards LeBron or Kyrie's drives and clean some things up that uh that did not work well for them defensively in that first matchup. Yeah, and then I think if you can do something like that and maybe not have to pay as much attention to that shooter, um, I think clogging the lane for Kyrie and Le- for Kyrie and LeBron is is a win. I mean, if you can do that and you can really make Kyrie's life uncomfortable when he and LeBron run the pick and roll or if LeBron has to go through three guys and you know has to throw up a dumb shot like that's gonna matter um that can muck up the game that can take some of the life out of the Cavs and it takes some of the pressure off of you know Joakim or Chris has to really protect the rim because um, you don't want to leave those guys isolated either you don't want Kyrie and LeBron to have free run to just drive off pick and rolls if you can clog the lane a little bit Yes, you're asking LeBron to do something he does really well and pass the ball to open shooters. But if it's Kyrie, he's not exactly great at it. Um, he's you know he's, he's averaging less assists. He had seven less uh, against Toronto, but also had six turnovers, and he's not exactly great at driving and making that kick out read. Like he's okay at it, but he's he doesn't have that elite vision on those type of plays. He mostly looks to score, and if you get Kyrie settling for mid range shots or making a bad pass, that's that's a win if you're the Knicks. I think. Yeah, and that's something that you know they've only sparingly been able to do with opposing point guards that play like Kyrie. Like they did it pretty well with Damian Lillard and then Kemba Walker in a couple games, but they've also let guys like you know Kyrie early and John Wall really tear them apart by getting all the way deep into the paint and either scoring at the basket or finding guys with assists. John Wall had something like eleven or twelve assists. And could have had several more if guys didn't blow easy layups. Um, and then obviously Kyrie, like I said earlier, basically got wherever he wanted on the court and made a bunch of ridiculous shots as well. Um, so that that's something that will test their defense, obviously, in, in the direct respect. But how they respond to it and whether they you know, sort of escort him to the paint as they did in that first game. Or whether they make him do something that is not necessarily his first choice. Um, will be a good test of how they've they've learned from that first game. Yeah, I think that's that's really worth uh, noting. I think the other thing I want to ask you about this is: is there anything that surprised you about the Knicks so far? Um, you know, we've had we've actually had time to watch these teams. Is there anything about the Knicks that you're like, oh, I didn't expect that in a positive or negative way? Uh, one positive, one negative. I would say Rose's finishing at the rim has been better than I expected. Um, the last four years, he has been really bad finishing at the rim, and this year he's been like even better than during his MVP season, which I'm not sure it's sustainable, but it's certainly been a pleasant surprise so far. And then the one bad thing would be, or I guess it's a combination of bad things that both fall under the same uh, umbrella. Um, Carmelo's defense and Joakim Noah's defense have both been really, really disappointing. Carmelo has been straight up really bad 
on defense, and Noah has not been nearly as good as he has been, even over the last few years, uh, in his somewhat diminished state. Um, has, has there anything that, that applies to that for, for you uh, from the Cavs side? Yeah, I think the thing that ha- that surprised me is how good Kevin Love has been. He's been um, awesome. Like, he's been the second best player in the team. Like, and I don't think that's really a question. Um, I mean, he, I think he's an all-star right now. Like, I think very clearly he does, uh, should be an all-star based on the season he's having. He's uh, basically getting a double-double every night. Um, he looks just so much happier. And he's shooting, you know, over 40% from three so far, which has been huge. And I think some some people expected his scoring numbers to go back down um, from where they were at last year when he was at 16 points. He's down. He's up at 21.4. Yep. And he's just been so efficient. Um, you know, his usage rate is it's the highest it's been in Cleveland. Um, it's at 26.5. It's the closest it's been to Minnesota Kevin Love that we've seen. And he just looks happier. Um, just talking to him, he doesn't seem quite as annoyed anymore. His body language has been great. Um and he's just been he's just been like really really good, and I mean some of that I think is because like we talked about when we did the preview for the first game of the year he's unburdened by that title, but I think they're just using him in really good ways. Um, I think they're still going away from him at times. I mean the the Blazers game that I'm sure you saw where he scored 37 points in a quarter or whatever. Um, they did, he scored like four points in the second half or something right. like that. Like they just went away from him. And they do that still, and that's something. I, like against Toronto, I want yeah, them. He to had uh, thirty-four in that quarter and forty for four, the and forty for the game. Right. So he just disappears after that. It's not really his fault. I was at that game, and they really were just not really feeding him uh, very much after that. And then, like you look at the Toronto game, he played really, really well, and he has such a positional advantage over a guy like Skiam. Um, and even over to Patrick Patterson because they're just they're okay and Scott plays really hard, but he love pump fix him to death, and you need to maximize that more I think. And on the flip side of something negative, we talked about him already, but Dunleavy has just been not good. <laughs> uh, and like you know he had the concussion. But he's also not playing much, and and that's a chicken and egg yeah. situation. Like is he not playing much because he's not been good? Has he not been good because he's not playing much? But at least. You have the kind of roster where if a guy's really not playing well at all, you can say, "Okay, we're sitting down." Um, yeah. For for the Knicks, for exa- just for example, like if Rose was not playing well at all, they would not be able to just say, "We're not going to play him." Yeah, uh, I mean, like so, like you said, Dunleavy is playing 15 minutes a game this year. That would be his lowest total since 2002, 2003, when he was a 22 year old playing for the Warriors, and he played 15.9 minutes a game. That was, what, his second year in the league, right? Yeah, I believe that was his second year in the league. Yeah. Uh, And look, Kevin Love, that's something, you know, that first game when we talked the next day, he didn't shoot well in that game, but we both were like, he was way more involved and he looked way better. He was all over the glass getting like every rebound. So that that was something that was noticeable right from the first game was that he was going to be more intimately involved in everything. Um, And that was... Good to see, excuse me. Good to see then, and it's good to see that that's continued. Mm-hmm. It's it's been really fun to see. Um, they've been certainly better for it. I think earlier in the year, I was kind of thinking Kyrie was going to take this bigger role, and I think he has, and he's definitely taking more threes, which is I think the biggest difference. 
but I think Love has just been used in a way that it's the closest thing we will ever see to Minnesota, Kevin Love, and Cleveland. Um, you can Just because you, when you have LeBron and you have Kyrie and you're playing a style of basketball, you're doing isolation, and I know I've said this on Locked on Cavs before, you can never use Kevin Love likely in the way that he, he was used with the Wolves. He's not going to get a bajillion elbow touches and post touches and like be the hub of everything. But in spurts, you can, and mm-hmm. you can use him to set other guys better and it works really really well I'm really intrigued to see how it's going to work against the Warriors because I have no idea <laughs> but uh, I think it's been really good for them and I think it's it's made them better than they were last year even if some of the other things like JR like Dunleavy um, haven't worked out and I mean the other caveat and Knicks fans I'm sure have seen his stats at least Amon Shumpert's been just kind of amazing yeah <laughs> and it's really bizarre and it's really bizarre and I it's not going to last I can't imagine but uh, it's been a fun ride so far. Yeah, when was the last time Shump missed? <laughs> like, it's like, like it's a, it's like a fair question because like I can't think of. Uh, he's shooting what like forty four percent from three or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking at them now, but he was you know above fifty percent at one point, which is like crazy. I, right now, he's shooting forty one point nine percent from three, shooting forty eight percent from the field, and that's on two point four three point attempts per game. Um, for reference, last year he was at twenty nine point five percent. He was just awful last yeah, year. Yeah, he was hurt pretty much all year last yeah. season. Um, even the season before that, he was hurt for a lot of the year. I mean, yeah, the, he, the he, last he time he, the was, camp, he was hurt. Yeah, I mean, he's been hurt on and off for the last probably three years. The last time he was really healthy was like the second half of that uh, that 2012-13 season when the Knicks were really good and he first came back from his ACL tear. I mean, because he, he got hurt again in the playoffs that year. And since then, he's been banged up on and off basically every season. Yeah, I mean, you just some of the stuff he's doing isn't even stuff that's particularly amazing. He'll just catch a three or catch a pass in the corner from LeBron, and he'll pop off a three really quick. And he makes it. His, his stroke looks good. He's, he, he makes it pretty often, and he, he just looks confident. The last couple of years, we've seen him take some bad shots, and I know it's, you've, you've seen Trumper when he shoots, and you have at least somewhat of an investment or like or just in a, a, a necessary reason to watch it. When he pulls up for a jumper, sometimes I cringe. Even now, like I cringe a little bit. I'll tell you, I'm, I've been saying since so probably 2011 that he should be legally barred from taking shots off the dribble. He still does it, and when he does it and it goes in, uh, it's kind of like a very surprising, kind of amazing thing. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's just, it's crazy that he, and he's been good on defense and not like being a terrible backup point guard, so it's like, I don't even know what to make of of how good he's been. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see how quickly they get him in there, because the way Rose has been playing over the last 10 games or so, I think they're going to want Shumpert on him for a lot of the night. Yeah, um, I, 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 he's not going to start, I don't think, but he'll be in there. If something goes wrong, Tyron Lue is not a guy who has these very rigid rotations, at least not yet. Um, we're starting to see some basic patterns, but if DeAndre Liggins is, starts for saying turns the ball over twice in five minutes, you're going to see him on Shumper, and you probably see him more than the 20 minutes a game you're already seeing him anyway. Yeah, I'll be interested to see also, um, because again, I think Tristan is a fairly... Uh, bad matchup for the Knicks, and I will be interested to see if Hornacek will will make the first move and go small and force Tristan to guard Porzingis and Love to guard Carmelo, or you know make Love guard somebody like you know Courtney Lee or Lance Thomas or something like that on the perimeter. 
Um, just just to see what happens. Like if they get Lance out there, they could put him on LeBron and, and have Carmelo guard Love instead, which is obviously an easier matchup for him. And then you get Chris Stapps, uh, on Tristan, so he's near the basket more often just based on Tristan rolling all the way to the rim rather than having to guard Love on the perimeter. Um, going small isn't necessarily the way to beat the Cavs, but I think it might be better for the Knicks because this does not seem like the uh, the kind of matchup where Noah is going to be a huge positive for them, especially if he plays defense the way he's been for most of the season rather than the way he has for most of his career. Yeah, and I think the Chris Epps thing's worth noting because Thompson has struggled this year and in the past against very big centers. Uh, Chris Epps, you know, isn't necessarily like a DeAndre or anything, but he's tall. He is stronger than he was last year, and he, he you know, I mean, he's a very, you've seen the putback dunks. He's got skills on that area of the game. Um, and I think if you look at what you how to beat the Cavs in that, and with their small lineups, I think that's a way to do it. I think that, and especially because if you get Thompson off the floor, Channing Fry or Kevin Love ends up at center in that scenario. Uh, Love can is a good rebounder, but Channing Fry is not really a good rebounder. Um, he's a good shooter, obviously. He really spaces the floor, and he's been great for the Cavs. But if you have a way to limit the Cavs' rebounding, it's getting Fry on the floor. And if you can defend him and not lose him, like a lot of teams just have. I think that's a win in a lot of ways. Yeah, I actually would be interested to see if they wind up going to Fry as like a JR replacement. So you get the shooting, um, especially if the Knicks stay big, you know, you could stick him on Noah and and be okay with that. It'll be, be, that's an interesting move. Yeah, get a little weird uh, and just kind of see what happens. I mean, you could probably... I, th- I could see them maybe doing it in a stretch. Um, they, they'd be really big in certain aspects if they did that. And I think you definitely would have to hope that it doesn't go badly really fast. Like, I think if you survive the first couple minutes, maybe then it's, like, a little bit more worth doing. But I kind of would like to see just in terms of, like, I would like to see weird stuff and, like, interesting stuff when I'm watching yeah, I'm not game. sure that the Knicks are the type of team that you need to break out that possibility against, like... Although it could just it could work as something like we're just going to test this out and it's not that dangerous against this team like because we're not worried about Courtney Lee killing Kevin Love, you know, right. and it's just something where they could see if it might work against somebody else. I, w- I don't really expect to see it, but it would be an interesting maneuver. Yeah, I'm, Lou does some stuff sometimes that I'm a little surprised by. Um, so ha- I mean, having not talked to him after since after the game or anything, I could I could see him doing something kind of wacky like that. Yeah, I mean, look, it should be, it should be fun. I think it should be a much more competitive game than the opener. Um, you know, first of all, it's in New York. Second of all, it's not ring night for the Cavs. Um, so, and plus, the guys are just playing better. Like Chris Stapps is playing much better. Uh, last two games accepted. Uh, Rose is playing much better than he was early on in the season, and that's obviously you know two of the Knicks' three most uh, important players uh, on offense, at least. So I would think that it'll be a better game this time around. I think you got to still consider the Cavs pretty heavy favorites, but I, I think the Knicks will give them a game. Yeah, um, and last thing, let's maybe wrap it up on this. Uh, do you do you expect LeBron and Phil to uh, no to no, I don't either. I don't expect LeBron if he sees him just to even uh, get close to Phil. Yeah, LeBron. I think already answered that question today that uh, he won't talk to Phil or say yeah, he's, he, he said like no uh, pretty plainly last time, but sometimes I think um, 
sometimes like I've, we've seen that stuff where like if it just happens, uh, you know, it becomes a thing. And I, I mean, just I wonder like if like how when Mello really thinks of that like deep down. I don't know. I've always I think it's just such a fascinating like micro thing that doesn't have any like actually implication on what's going to happen in the game but like that dynamic of someone who was so important uh for the lakers and still runs a team and everything and then lebron with carmelo as being like the intermediary it's like such like a weird little kind of thing yeah um i mean look lebron always comes out and puts on a show in the garden anyway he's probably like the best road player in the garden since jordan um which is probably true of every arena but uh (laughs) I would expect that he'll put on maybe something a little more special, being that this is the first time that he has a chance to really stick it to him. Yeah, throw a little bit of shade in his uh, post-game availability, too. Yeah, I would expect that as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, right, so uh, so we'll talk uh, tomorrow to wrap things up, I guess. Yes, sir. All right, yeah, so listeners, we'll be back tomorrow. uh, Another crossover recap the game. So for Chris, for Jared, we'll talk to you then.